Welcome to Trials and Tribulations at Work, the podcast where we talk about everything related to the workplace. Join us as we interview leading experts to discuss a variety of workplace-related issues to help you learn about your rights, as well as how to succeed professionally, personally, and financially in the workplace. And here is your host, Jay Stafford, founder of the law firm of J.W. Stafford. Kelly Leonard is an author, award-winning TV show and podcast host, and former Fortune 100 executive. Through Kelly Leonard Consulting, she has successfully helped thousands of clients launch new businesses, increase revenue, build profitable strategic partnerships, land dream jobs, and more using her signature boost methodology for LinkedIn. Currently, Kelly is Director of Client Services at Cook Ross, a nationally recognized training and strategy consultancy that partners with the world's most influential organizations to create inclusive leadership and cultures. In commitment to her local community, Kelly is a member of Leadership Montgomery, serves on the board of the Council for Advocacy and Policy Solutions, and recently co-founded Rise and Run, a candidate training program with a mission to support Black individuals to secure elected positions in Montgomery County, Maryland. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. It is an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on the show. Today, I wanted to talk with you about what people need to do or what people need to know to transition to their dream career. Uh, And one of the things that really motivated me to have you on the show today is because you've actually done this in in your career. Uh, First, tell our listeners about the career shift you made from being an accountant to a corporate trainer. Well, Jay, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation because I truly believe it is a journey. Life is a journey, right? Um, And so even when I look and reflect on the 20 plus or maybe nearly three decades of being in the workforce (laughs) (laughs) that I've been in, it's funny because when I think of where I started out, Um, You know, my professional career really started as a function of being a really obedient child. Um, And and you're probably like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? And and it really comes down to even when I thought about professionally, what would I want to be when I grew up? um, You know, my parents always encouraged me to look at those professions where you have stability Mm -hmm. um, and sustainability. Where are those areas where there's always going to be a need for those people? And so initially they encouraged me, okay, think of, you know, the medical profession. So you got doctors, you've got attorneys, and then you have accountants. (laughs) And so, you know, these are all these professionals where it's like, okay, those professions will never go away. And they certainly can't be replaced by robots or, or other things. And so, you know, opting for the path of least resistance, I was like, okay, the shortest amount of education, let's, let's go the accounting route. (laughs) And so I'd studied to be an accountant. And of course, when you're in the field of accounting, to really separate the players from the pretenders, you have to look at, okay, what certification. So of course, becoming a CPA was the way to really sort of set myself apart from just the larger field of, of accounting. And so went on to take the CPA exam. And so invested a lot of time and energy there, spent quite a few years in um, business there, um, including a stint in public accounting, where I quickly learned, ooh, I don't really like this profession that much. And so, you know, of course, back then, a part of, and I think even to this day, a part of your acquiring your CPA certification required you to have a certain number of professional hours in public accounting. And so 
once I checked that box of saying, okay, check, I'm officially a certified public accountant, um, I realized, okay, this is not the place for me either. And so where could I then take my accounting degree and use it um, still in a practical way and then found myself in a more traditional corporate environment where I was practicing accounting. And then what dawned on me was the monotony of the work and the fact that, you know, when you look at year end, okay, wow, while everyone's celebrating the new year and partying, <laughs> I'm like doing financial statements. And then it's like, yeah. you know, Memorial Day weekend. Well, that's month end. And so everybody's ha- barbecues and I'm like, well, dang, I got to do. So it, so then I didn't like the cadence that was required inside of accounting. And quite frankly, I found through those years also found that I really love people. I really mm-hmm. like being around people. I love the mentorship aspect. And because of just the different mentors that I had through the years and the sponsorship that I had through the years that then put me in these spaces where I was able to then become a mentor and support coaching and mentorship to my peers and or other younger professionals. It really helped me to open my eyes into, wow, okay, I really like being around people and I love seeing how the mind evolves and and I liken myself. I like to think that I'm a lifelong learner. And so I started thinking, okay, well, how could I make this pivot into more of a training role? And so I really found it wasn't until I was at General Electric where because it's such a massive organization, um, the opportunities were abundant. And so to then pivot from the world of sort of accounting, finance, risk management into the world of, of training. And so it was really me, the different opportunities that I had along the way through the field of accounting that introduced me to training, coaching, mentorship that really helped me to understand that I really love supporting and engaging people and helping them to see those light bulb moments, which then, you know, sort of pivoted me into the world of, of training. That's awesome. And, and Kelly, let me ask you this, because one of the things I hear a lot of times from people is, you know, they, they want to go into a different career, but they're afraid to make the jump. You know, what guidance or uh, advice do you have for people who were sort of who were sort of in your position uh, in that CPA role and want to get into something else? Uh, what advice do you have for people who are sort of afraid to make that jump? But what, what sort of, uh, you know, guidance do you have? Yeah, for that? that's a great question. And so, you know, a couple of things come to mind. First and foremost, I would say, you know, if you know, kind of where your interests lie, your personal interests is seek out people who perhaps are in that world and, and have really just transparent, authentic conversations with them to find out, okay, what was your path? How did you get into that field? What do you love about the field? What do you hate about the field? Because there may be things that those through those conversations that you might hear that then cause you to think, oh, maybe that's not as glamorous as I thought it was. And so I don't you know, know that that's the path that I want to take. So that's one thing. Another thing that, that um, struck me is that, again, looking for opportunities. What I did is even though I was in the field of accounting, I sought out opportunities to kind of dip my my toe into the world of training and coaching so it was even making yourself available um, to be used in the way in which you're seeking to grow so that at least you're cutting your teeth um, in that particular field and then I would also say because 
there is certainly no shortage of learning opportunity is to, to really seek out ways to learn about that field. So I think, you know, like LinkedIn learning is a great place. Like if I knew that I wanted to switch industries entirely, maybe I might do some LinkedIn learning, look for like, like if I want to go into the field of real estate, for example, well, maybe I'll go on and search on LinkedIn learning and see, you know, are there some real estate classes that I could be taking um, where it's, sort of a lower barrier barrier of me getting the information that I need to make a really thoughtful decision as to whether or not that industry is one in which I have interest in. And then, you know, just good old fashioned Google, because, right. you know, the other thing to be mindful of is there's no shortage of things to do in the world, right? There's no shortage of ways to make money, but you also, um, you know, when you reach a particular age, you, you have a personal responsibility to make sure that the shifts and the moves that you're making are aligned with your personal responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I may want to be a rock star, but <laughs> I got a family to feed. It's like, you know, now may not be the time for me to pursue that. And, or how can I pursue it in a really thoughtful way where it's still going to help me to afford myself to live the type of lifestyle that I've grown accustomed to, or that I would like to grow accustomed to. Right. You'd be a successful rock star. I can tell you that. <laughs> 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 well, look, uh, Kelly, let, let's talk about one of the powerful tools that you created to help others sort of execute on getting an opportunity in their dream, dream career field. And it's called Boost. Uh, tell, tell our listeners what Boost stands for. Great question. So Boost, I love acronyms. And so I, because I think they're like truly a great way for you to commit to memory some of the things that you have swirling around in your mind. And so Boost was really an idea that came, well, for, okay, let me tell you what it is. Boost is an acronym. So it's build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and then tap into new markets. And this was a methodology that we developed internally in our company when during the time where I was transitioning away from traditional corporate America and starting to join my husband in sort of the relaunch or the rebranding of Taylor Leonard Corporation. And so part of what Taylor Leonard Corporation specializes in is um, what we call CRM, customer relationship management. Mm -hmm. Well, and an extension of CRM is social CRM. So essentially looking at very thoughtfully what tools are out there, primarily social media, what tools are out there that folks should be using in order to um, increase their professional success. And so um, because so many of our customers at that time were coming to us and were like, okay, this whole social media thing is confusing to us. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to use it. And because so many of them were in the government space or private industry, many of them had a desire or had a, a high and increased amount of trust in the LinkedIn platform. Because when you pound for pound, when you look at LinkedIn as relative to the other social media platforms, you know, your Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all, you know, whatever, just name them all. LinkedIn was the one in which they found to be where most of their customer base and or their peers, prospects, prospective employees hung out. And so the notion was, okay, how do we really thoughtfully use a a platform like LinkedIn to to connect with and build relationship with our ideal client base or our ideal network? And so we created this methodology in order to help them navigate 
those relationships and build relationships in a really thoughtful way. So essentially the, the boost curriculum was built exclusively to help our clients to navigate their use of LinkedIn specifically, but it applies really essentially to anything. Okay. Okay. And, and look, tell, tell our listeners who are looking to get into an entirely new career field. Uh, you know, they're looking to make that transition from CPA to, you know, you name the, a different career, uh, how they can use uh, that boost methodology uh, to, to, to help do that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it start. there's a reason, there's a method to the madness as to why it's even called boost. It's not called USB. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like build your brand. So first you want to start with building your brand, right? With anything that you're doing, because um, people need, in order for a person to get to know, like, and trust you, because we all know that people do business and hire people they know, like, and trust. It's all about initially really thoughtfully building your brand. So what do you want to be known for? Like answering that question for yourself, what do I want to be known for? Mm-hmm. And so really thoughtfully thinking about, okay, so how do I make sure that I, um, I build my brand in such a way where if someone were to Google me, because let's face it, all employers, I mean, people in general, I don't care what kind of relationship, if it's a working relationship, a dating relationship, People are going to Google you. And so when they Google you, what's the first thing that they're going to see? Oftentimes it's going to be your LinkedIn profile. So how have you thoughtfully constructed your brand in such a way so that when someone sees your, um, your digital footprint, that they come to quickly be able to understand what is your area of expertise? Is it, you know, you're an attorney. Well, okay, the field of law is very broad. Is there a specific way, you know, what is that niche, that audience that you're looking to connect with? Or what is your area of specialty, your core capabilities? And so really thoughtfully taking time to build your brand is super important. Mm. The challenge is, I think, is that oftentimes we as individuals, we always think, oh, well, I'm not Coca-Cola. I don't have a brand, but we all have a brand, right? Yeah. We, think of ourselves as a mini LLC or, you know, Kelly Leonard Inc. And that's regardless whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an intrapreneur, meaning an employee that's doing great things inside of an organization. You should always be thinking about what brand, what message am I putting out through my digital footprint? Mm, That's powerful. That's powerful. And look, one of the, you know, optimized relationships is one of the yeah. pieces to this. And, and, you know, as I was looking at this, I'm, you know, building your brand and, and the other acronyms, very important, but this optimized relationships piece, because is, as I've started my own, you know, my firm and, uh, you know, that is such a critical piece uh, to this. And, and, and I just want to spend a few moments right there. What can people do who are looking to transition to another career field or to move up an organization, how, how can they go about optimizing relationships, relationships? Because, you know, so much of what folks do now is it's very, I call it very transactional in and out. And it's like, you know, but that optimized relationships is really something that stood out for me. Speak a little bit about that. If you don't mind. Yeah, that's great. That's great, Jay. And it's so true. Like we are a highly transactional society because it seems like everything is moving at, the speed of light, right? And so people feel like, well, I don't have time to really dig deep and and grow a relationship. The one thing that I will preface before I say anything, the, the, the 
the error that I see so many people making when it comes to optimizing relationships is they mm-hmm. wait until they need the relationship to try to build the relationship. And if yeah. you do that, you've started too late. Because again, think back to one of the things that I said earlier, people do business and people hire the people they know, like, and trust. And so you want to get ahead of that by really thoughtfully thinking about, okay, how do I build a thoughtful, authentic relationship with people? And so if you think about how you can build a relationship with a person ahead of you needing to actually cash in, and I'm throwing up air quotes. I know people can't see us, but (laughs) I'm throwing up air quotes to say, you know, to really thoughtfully, authentically build a genuine relationship with people. It takes time. It's an investment. And so, and a lot of people just quite frankly, don't want to make that investment. And those are the people who sadly are not going to have as much success in their life as those people who say, you know what, I'm going to make a personal commitment to spend time just getting to know people. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, when you think about, you know, people are, you know, if you're lonely, the West, the best way to, to, to make friends is to be a friend. It, yeah. it amazes me sometimes when you meet some people and they are so rotten prickly, Jay, that you're like, no wonder you like are in the situation that you're in. You're always in a bad mood. So, yeah. so much of optimizing relationships, I think, starts with having almost that emotional intelligence and awareness mm. of yourself to say, okay, am I even worthy of being a friend? Like, am I lighting up a room when I come into the room? And mind you, we're in COVID right now as we're having this conversation. And so we're not finding ourselves in rooms, traditional rooms, as much as we typically are. We find ourselves in these virtual rooms, but even in the virtual rooms, am I paying attention? Am I acting like I'm actually interested in what a person is sharing with me? Or am I just kind of, you know, this, this, this figure that really, only am interested in getting my own needs met. Mm. And so again, it's putting yourself in, in a position such that you're asking people, how can I be of service to you? Because then inevitably people are going to then feel compelled to be of service to, to, you know, the reverse. So if I'm asking yeah. you, Jay, okay, I may have a need, I may be a job seeker, or I may be someone who's pivoting careers, and maybe I want to go into the field of law. And so practically, what this might look like is me reaching out to you to say, hey, Jay, I see you have this established practice, I've done a little b- bit of research on you online, you know, this particular thing, or I've been listening to your podcast, and wow, man, you're, you're really doing some great things. I love the vibe that you have. I would love to just spend a few minutes with you just learning more about your experience as an attorney, because I really don't know. I don't even know if this is an industry that I want to, if I could be successful in it, you know, would you be open to just having an authentic conversation with me? Five minutes. Would you be willing to take five minutes of your time just to share more with me about what it is, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly in the industry. And most people, their their favorite subject to, to talk about is is what? What do you think most people themselves? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> themselves. I know. Exactly. Right. <laughs> As opposed to if I'm like, hey Jay, I need a job. I want to talk to you. Can can we schedule a conference call? Yeah. Already you're like, okay, Kelly, you sound like a project. Like, <laughs> I don't have time to do projects, right? Right. I've got family, yeah. I've got COVID, yeah. I've got clients, I've got all these different things that are going on right now. So for as much as I would love to help you. In the grand scheme of my priorities right now, sadly, you're not one of them. Yeah. And and that's real talk, right? Like right. 
And so how do we turn that conversation around in such a way where, you know, hey, it's an opportunity for me to get to know Jay. And yeah, at some point, hopefully, maybe in that conversation, I have an, an opportunity to, uh, to sprinkle a little special sauce and share a little bit about myself yeah. in that conversation. But it's if we if you do it right, it's the first of many conversations to come. Mm. But we want to get all of our needs met in that first initial conversation, in that first email, yeah. in that first text message. And that's a turnoff. Like we have to continuously ask ourselves, how do we want to be treated? And if we don't want to be fire hosed, or if we don't want to be spammed, or if we don't want to be to be sold to, why do we think that we have the secret sauce that when we do that to a person, that suddenly the person's going to be attracted to us? Right. It doesn't work that way, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I mean, because that's, I, I think that's so powerful for a lot of people, the understanding that relationship building takes time. Yeah. It takes investment. I mean, that, that's, I think that's powerful. Well, look, Kelly, one of the things I definitely want to talk with you about, you are the busiest woman uh, <laughs> on the face of the planet. I mean, I'm telling you, you know, you've opened, you know, you've got your own business. And, and one of the things I want to have you talk about is, you know, making the jump to being your own boss. You know, and a lot of people that I speak to, and especially now, you know, people are thinking about doing this, going from employee to, to owner. Uh, and, and I want just to stay here for a few minutes and tell us, you know, what's been uh, the good and the bad uh, that you've experienced sort of becoming your own boss? Yeah, and I'll preface that. That's a great question. I'll preface that by saying also, at the time of this recording, I'm not only my own boss, but I'm also an employee inside of an organization called Cook Ross. And so yep. I wear multiple hats. So to, to your earlier point, <laughs> yes, I am quite busy. <laughs> yes, you are. But you figure out a way to make it happen. But that is a great preface and a great sort of segue to, okay, what does being your own boss look like? What does, what does it require? What's the good and the bad, the ugly? I mean, the good of it is, is that yes, you are your own boss. And so a lot of obedience and discipline is required in order to successfully navigate that though. Um, And a lot of people, they love to say certain things, you know, a lot of, and I always laugh because I, I, I categorize being own boss with this you know, I'm on my grind. You know how you hear people say, I'm on my grind. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and, and you look, but many people, the vast majority of people are not, I'm just going to use the word designed because that's the word that is coming up in my mind right now, are really not designed to only be their own boss. Being their own boss may work well if it's a side hustle because you're not solely reliant financially upon your ability, your discipline, your obedience to be on your grind, because being your own boss is a, you know, um, I've heard the terminology ain't to faint, meaning like, it's like all by any means necessary, you get it done. There's no excuses. You've got to like, just keep working because it's up to you to make the donuts, package the donuts, sell the donuts, clean up the kitchen, everything. So, you know, in a pinch and while the ultimate is being in a position where you're not only your own boss, but you've also empowered and equipped enough people to be on your team, whereby you're not having to do all the work. Those things don't just magically happen at at most people. The vast majority of entrepreneurs start off where they are the only person they are doing 
every aspect of their business. So the good part about that is it forces you to understand every aspect of your business so that when you are in a position to then start onboarding and hiring more people, you are have greater visibility as to when someone is doing something correctly <laughs> yeah. or incorrectly. Exactly. You yeah. know, so that's the, the great thing about it. But yeah, I would say the good is, you know, it comes with some freedom, it comes with some flexibility, but it also comes with a tremendous price as well because you know you've got the ebbs and flows of of cash flow. Yeah. And making payroll and paying bills and all these other very real consequences of being your own boss that a lot of people just don't don't think about um the 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 sad majority unfortunately many people who are entrepreneurs they haven't really um they haven't grown their business to a point where it's scalable to the place where all they've essentially done is bought themselves a job Mm -hmm. so while they may be a boss it's they can't afford to take their foot off of the accelerator at any point in time, because if they do, they're going to feel the pinch of what happens. I think COVID has taught a lot of people that the yeah. business that they thought they owned was maybe just a hobby or it was it was not sustainable because or, or because they lacked really the skill set to know, okay, how do I structurally, what are the financial statements that I need? Because, oh, by the way, in order for you to qualify for that PPP money, guess <laughs> right. what? Yeah. You need to have like, you need to have some <laughs> financials. You need to be able to quit the bank. Yeah. Something. And, and right. oh, PS, you need to have a banking relationship because yeah. if you didn't have a, re- a relationship, you're just in a pot of a whole bunch of other people oh, my Lord. who are, are going to, are, aren't going to qualify for that money. And yeah. so, you know, so back to optimizing relationships, if you're going to be your own boss, you better best believe that you need an attorney, <laughs> an accountant, a CPA, a tax, a bookkeeper, yeah, like, hey, yeah. HR, per, you know, all spiritual of advisor. Oh, my gosh, my <laughs> Lord, a spouse who has a full time job. You I mean, you need so, <laughs> you need a lot. And we're laughing about it because yeah. sometimes being your own boss means you're going to laugh at about stuff in order to keep you from crying. You're going to need to mm. laugh your way through yeah. in order to survive the peaks and valleys. Yeah. Amen to that. And look, Kelly, you know, one of the things that really stands out, you know, I, I've known you for, for years. It, one of the things that really stands out to me about you is this sort of purpose. I mean, you, everything you do seems to be sort of purpose driven. I mean, I, I just, you know, you, you're deeply involved in the community there in Montgomery County, uh, Maryland. You know, you host a TV show. You've got your own podcast. You, you, you started Rise and Run Academy to help people of color uh, run for office in Montgomery County and maybe even in other jurisdictions as well. Um, tell us uh, about how the purpose that you have sort of drives it, from, from, from what I see. It drives everything you do. I mean, tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. And, and thanks for igno- noticing and then acknowledging that. That um, really means a lot to me. It makes my heart sing. Absolutely. Um, because, yeah, because to that very point, I am very focused in that I believe that I've been placed on this earth for a purpose and I want to as best I can in everything and anything that I do remain true to that purpose, which so much of it boils down to just loving God and loving people. Mm. And because of the certain way that I believe that I've been uniquely 
gifted and created to be a catalyst compass and connector in the communities that I've been placed in. And really so much of what I say yes to, it has to be very closely wedded to me being able to stay true to that purpose of, okay, how is this going to help me to be a catalyst, a compass and or connector um, to people such that I can then show them the love of God and the love of people and how all of us are, um, I think, uniquely created for a specific purpose and how we walk out that purpose just looks different for different people. Um, and yeah. I think that because I do everything in my power to stay true to that purpose, it al- it somehow magically my time gets multiplied Oh wow! Um, because yeah. it's certainly by the grace of God that I'm able to do as much as I am able to do. Um, but it also, I think, puts me in a very special purpose where when things are presented to me, because I'm one of those people that I recognize I'm, I humble myself to know that while there are certain like I can do a lot of stuff, but yeah. there's certain stuff that I have no business doing and that there are other people who I believe in their the way that they've been created. They're much better, much better equipped to do those things. And so. For me, it's even recognizing who am I connected to, who could serve or fill a void best. And that's very helpful for me in that it helps me to say no to a lot of things as well, because there's that old adage, you want something done, give it to a busy person, right? Right. Because if a person has oodles of time, you got to scratch your head and wonder, why why are you not busy? Like, what's going on with you that you have so much time? But And so because of that, Jay, oftentimes people will come to me to say, oh, can you serve on this board? And then I have to put it through my little filter to say, Mm -hmm. okay, checks these two boxes, but it's not checking this third box. And so because of that, I've got to say no. But and in and in all of this is it's also the alignment of knowing that first and foremost, my most important and my most precious um, responsibility and ministry, if you will, is my family. And so I've always got to put things through the filter to, to say, okay, if something compromises my ability to be a really dynamic wife and mother. Um, and then community leader, then I, you know, if it minces those things or puts them out of, of order or jeopardizes my responsibility in one of those areas, then it it empowers me to be able to say no, because otherwise you start saying yes to a million different things. And at the end of the day, you're like, okay, I'm so busy. I can't even focus on the things that really bring me joy. And right. so- so much of the things that I do while they keep me busy, they also are very uniquely interrelated and they bring me a tremendous amount of joy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, Kelly, look, uh, thank you so much for coming uh, uh, and speaking with me today. Uh, tell our listeners how they can contact you. So the best place to find me is typically going to be on LinkedIn. And if you do that, please make sure that you send me a personal note and say, hey, I heard you on Jay's podcast because I do not accept all connections to LinkedIn because going back to what you mentioned earlier about optimizing relationships, I pride myself in being a person that at least knows something about my network. So I'm really specific in who, or strategic rather, in who I will accept connection requests from. So if you send me a LinkedIn connection request, um, please make sure that um, you mention that you heard me on Jay's podcast, or you can visit my website, either kellytleonard.com, or if you go to boostmylinkedin.com, you can find me there as well. So those are probably the best places to find me. Awesome. And can they find your podcast there as well, Kelly? 
Where can they find Absolutely. your podcast? You go to either my, if you go to my LinkedIn page, one of my contact links on my LinkedIn page is the podcast, but then also on the kellytleonard.com website, you can also find the link to the podcast. Awesome. awesome. Or you can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I'm in a bunch of different places. So. You're everywhere. <laughs> You're everywhere. <laughs> Kelly, look, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Definitely have to have you back on again. But thank you so much, Kelly. Jay, thank you. And thank you for just the, the content that you're bringing to your listening community. You are, I have had had so many aha moments listening to your podcast. So continue doing what you are doing, my friend. Thank you. And now it's time for Jay's take. Today, we talked a lot about transitioning to your dream job. Unfortunately, not all employees in the United States are truly free to transition to another employer because of what are often referred to as non-compete agreements or restrictive covenants. Non-compete agreements are generally presented to new employees at a company when they are hired, and it restricts those employees for a period of time after their eventual departure from the company from working for a competitor. Generally speaking, there are geographic limitations to the reach of these non-compete agreements, but let's be clear. These agreements can be extremely onerous on employees looking for greener pastures. If you violate a non-compete agreement that you've executed, you could face costly litigation and significant financial consequences, all because you want to provide your services to another competing company. In many respects, these non-compete agreements are antithetical to the free market economy that this country purports to believe in. According to a study by the Economic Policy Institute, somewhere between 36 and 60 million workers in the United States are subject to non-compete agreements. For our listeners that are looking to transition to new careers, a few words of caution before you sign that non-compete agreement that a prospective employer might put in front of you. First, understand that eventually you will leave the company that is presenting you with this non-compete agreement. So don't be so quick to just sign it. Try to negotiate it and hire legal counsel to assist you with negotiating that agreement. Depending on how badly the company wants you, they may be willing to entertain some modifications to the non-compete agreement. Second, get legal counsel to evaluate the enforceability of the non-compete agreement. As Maryland does have a law in place that limits the enforceability of non-compete agreements depending on one's salary. Finally, don't be afraid to walk away. Sometimes no deal is better than a bad deal. Just ask those employees who have been sued by their former employer. Ultimately, our state and federal legislators need to take another look at the enforceability of non-compete agreements. Every employee should be able to take their services to another company that may be willing to pay them more or give them extra benefits. If we as a country believe in free markets, then why shouldn't an employer be able to prohibit an employee from taking their talents to greener pastures? Thank you all for listening. Until next time, this is the Trials and Tribulations at Work podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family. If you have questions, you can always email us at info at staffordtrialteam.com. Again, that's info at staffordtrialteam.com. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, take care.